You are listening to The Pause Podcast with me, Dr. Benji Epstein, a podcast where we will be giving ourselves the permission to pause. This will be a practical guide to live a life with courage, presence, and authenticity. Join us to reconnect with your most soulful and authentic self by pausing together. All right, and welcome back. Another day, another dollar. But in this case, it's another real opportunity to wake up to this very life. And we're going to start and end with gratitude, Ben. We are. We always do. And everything else is just katsefet, as they say. Mm. Or hummus. Just the, just the cherry on top. The cherry on top. Have to share this feedback that just left me feeling speechless. Dearest Dr. Benji, I want to thank you for your podcast. My name is Malka, and I live on the West Coast. Judaism was a vague part of my life since my earliest memories. I always felt like there was a God-shaped wall in front of me that I could never climb or burst through. And for close to 10 years, I suffered from an extreme panic anxiety disorder and even was homebound for quite some time. I subsequently found mindfulness and God in the darkest moments of my life. And then, because everything is divine timing, I somehow found the Pause Podcast, Baruch Hashem. Each morning when I take my dog out for a walk, I throw on the newest Pause Podcast for me and listen to how you so clearly and simply relate life to Hashem. The simplicity of your words and ideas about such complex and deep issues makes me feel like I have hope and a connection to the divine. I am like everyone. I have fears, doubts, and anxieties. However, listening to pause, I feel so grounded and connected to my people that it can bring me to tears, the happiest of tears. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and neshama for showing me that sometimes we just gotta pause. We have to connect to our breath and neshama, and even if some days it's hour by hour or minute by minute, we are all in this long, short road together. Again, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. What can I say? What do you, what do you say to that? It, it, humbling, wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing. Your words have been and will be something we come back to whenever we want to remind ourselves of our mission, keeping the main thing the main thing, and that we are all in this long, short road together. And we're all just walking each other home. And a shout out to the ambassadors of light. Big ups to Jacob Fight for repping the swag on his class trip. To Ellie London, who is making waves out in the 240. And to Victor and the It's Geschmack to be at Frisch crew. The light is growing brighter now. And finally, for some personal news. We were just talking about this, Ben. It looks like July will be my last month working here at Pause. I just want to say thank you so much to Nahi Gordon and company for allowing me to initiate and be a co-creator here. I'm sure you will continue to do wonderful things. Special shout out to the amazing work on social that Naomi Garfinkel has been doing and to Yocheved Herzog for the unreal graphics. I will be handing off the baton to another mental health professional to continue the podcast. In terms of being able to stay connected with me, I'm going to be taking a break from podcasting to focus on the next book. Uh, and I appreciate those who have reached out and I'm always happy to discuss new ideas with folks. Any other housekeeping? All right. 
It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Oh, man. <laughs> take it back to the 90s. Woo! Always having to take it back. I haven't left. <laughs> so here we are, right in the middle of the three weeks. Is it getting heavy? Well, I thought it was already as heavy as can be. So tell everybody waiting for Superman that they should try to hold on best they can. Hold on best they can. So this is a gentle progression from what we've been working on for the past few weeks. And I'm sometimes guilty of some Rib Joey hyperbole from time to time. But this week's episode, Welcoming the Guests, is one of those ideas that comes up more times than I can count in therapy. And it's become so important, especially with the focus on somatic therapies in the treatment of mental illness, learning to be present in our bodies, as we've discussed previously. And we start with some wisdom from a mystic by the name of Rumi, and it's called the guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. The interplay between an individual's emotions and their sense of self often forms a complex feedback loop. You could learn certain works of Jewish wisdom, and if they're not studied properly, the message you will leave them with is that certain emotions are bad evil, maybe even sinful. And so if you happen to subsequently experience any of these emotions, which I assure you, the pause promise, will inevitably happen. And your relationship to those feelings is one of non-acceptance, rejection. Then it makes sense that you're going to do everything in your power to get rid of them. And I saw a quote from a former Supreme Court justice, William O. Douglas, and he said that at the Supreme Court, 90% of our decisions are made on the basis of what we feel about things, our feelings. And the other 10% is our rationalization, where we use our mind to justify what we feel. And if that's true on the Supreme Court, you can imagine that there's a good likelihood that it's pretty much the basis of how we relate toward the world. So the first thing we want to do we want to acknowledge when we start bringing mindfulness to our feelings in order to not get caught or tangled or entangled or reactive, grasping, pretty much all of the things that combine to make the suffering of life, what we have to do first is normalize feelings and reassure ourselves, remind ourselves that whatever we are feeling is just a feeling. And it's human and it's normal. Feelings are typical. All the feels, right? Peoples is peoples and feelings are normal. One of my meditation teachers shared a story of how he was traveling in the Far East with his own meditation teacher, Ajahn Chah. And they had this driver who took them in his little Toyota pickup truck, this little white Toyota. And I don't know why it was that color, but that's what he told the story. And they're riding in the front with this driver. 
And it was a long ride, a few hours on a dirt road to get where they needed to be. And they're traveling on this sort of one and a half lane road. You know, some, some of the back roads traveling from, you know, Yushalayim to Beit Shemesh. Going from one uh, province to another through the mountains. And the driver was driving really fast. And he said that when they would encounter, you know, a bus or a logging truck on the other side, they'd have to make enough room for it to pass. And it was really scary. And my teacher starts to become really nervous and afraid. And he's like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) die, right? I'm not ready to die, but you know. And he looks over at the master, Ajahn Chah, and he sees that the master's knuckles are white from, you know, clenching his fists. And my teacher says to himself, okay, I'm not alone in this. And after the whole scary ride, they arrive at their destination. The engine turns off, ah, right? That moment of pause. And then Ajahn Chah turns to my teacher and says, scary ride, wasn't it? (laughs) And it wasn't like it was a bad or inappropriate feeling or that you're supposed to be cool or not have any sort of worry or fear because you're the master, you're the teacher, whatever, whatever. It was just what it was. It just was what it was. It is what it is. This, This is fear. And again, so our first step is recognizing our ability to acknowledge and normalize and reassure that this is part of being human. This being human is a guest house. It's enormously helpful as we begin to practice and open up to our emotions, just like Malka was sharing with us. And here's Pema Chodron. Shout out Dibash. It's very helpful to realize that the emotions we have, the negativity, and positivity are exactly what we need to be fully human, fully awake, and fully alive. And so this is where we awaken. Related to this idea that it's not okay to have these feelings, and here comes another belief that having these feelings implies a judgment about you. Because if you've been conditioned to believe that only a certain type of person feels anger, feels jealousy, feels lust, then the experience of these emotions will brand you as a pretty unsavory character. And then you've opened up a Pandora's box of self-doubt and guilt. And for those of you keeping score out there, this is similar to the ego dystonic thoughts that plague individuals with OCD. And what inevitably ends up happening is this vicious cycle of identifying with or fruitlessly attempting to suppress these feelings, feeling guilty and regretful, struggling to overcome the guilt, and once the feelings arise again, experiencing the process all over again and again. Here comes that rainy day feeling again. Rainy days and Mondays and Moshe Shabbos blues. So what current research in psychology has demonstrated is that every emotion serves an adaptive function. If it's happening, it's necessary, folks. It exists to teach a person both about their own inner life and their relationship to their surroundings. But in our spiritual tradition, in the Jewish warrior path, it goes even deeper. And I focus this on my book, Living in the Presence, where we discuss how in the mystical works of Judaism, there's an expression that says, evil does not descend from the heavens. 
And that is such an apt way to describe our relationship to emotions. Put simply, there is no such thing as a, air quotes, bad emotion. However, when a person relates to an emotion in an unhealthy way, be it through neglect or becoming overly preoccupied with it, this emotion is said to have fallen. For example, fear. Fear is an emotion that is adaptive, helpful, and constructive. If a person doesn't feel fear when he sees a bear approaching, there is a very good likelihood that he will not have a chance to tell anyone how he narrowly escaped the encounter. But what if you start to feel afraid every time you leave the house, thinking you're going to run into the bear again to the point that you can no longer leave the house? In the course of one's spiritual development, emotions can be used constructively in the service of cultivating one's development and growth. But if these emotions are not properly attenuated and refined, they become what the mystical works refer to as fallen. Each and every emotion has its source and root in a divine realm, such as loving kindness or strength, chesed, gvura. But when that emotion falls away from its source, the consequences can be negative, dare say, even destructive. A person who lives in a constant state of anxiety is in a place of fallen fear. The source of worry is gvura, which is also the source of one's ability to be God-fearing. So when properly channeled, this trait imbues a person with a sense of awe and wonder. But when fear and anxiety dominate, then the fear is said to be fallen. Chesed, loving kindness, is the source of a person's ability to love and direct his love towards the proper objects. But if you love the wrong people, places, and things, then that love has fallen. When love overwhelms you to the point that it spills over into areas where it creates suffering, that love is said to have fallen. Looking for love... In all the wrong places. In all the wrong places. Emotions are essentially good, holy even, but unchecked or fallen emotions create suffering. The question then becomes, how does one elevate an emotion? For instance, how do we elevate ourselves from the misery of unhealthy anxiety, worry, and fearfulness? Note, Judaism does not promote uprooting or excising these negative emotions. This is a crucial distinction. The point is never to try to get rid of what's already there, but rather to elevate. Elevation. Judaism does not define any particular emotion as good or bad, but rather views it as a force that needs to be channeled. The point in all of this is to not get rid of your feelings or have some notion of only experiencing the right feelings, because right now, the grief is what is needed to be felt, and the outrage sometimes, that injustice, is what needs to be felt. It actually inspires us in some powerful way, but the emotion, that's never the end of the story. That's the beautiful thing. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. They're leading us to some greater understanding. And so in order for a person to elevate his or her emotions, they must become expert observers, similar to an appraiser looking at a precious item, able to observe without becoming attached. And we know this 
Where do we know this from? Our own mindfulness practice. Our emotions are lifted with the quality of evaluation. It is an observation guided by an attitude of curiosity and openness. Exact judgment requires unflinching honesty, but also objective detachment. A judge who has a bias or personal preference in a case must automatically recuse himself. So too, when we are judging our emotions, the evaluation must be done without judgments, on purpose, in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And another real important pause point, when you get quiet and you really pay attention, the truth is feelings don't last that long. And I'll give you a play-by-play of what I recently did that might come up, and you could all try this at home, kids. So, you know, you think you've been feeling a certain way for an extended period of time. I'm always anxious. I was angry all day. I was sad all week. It feels like they last a long time. I've been depressed for so long. But just sit here with me and notice what you're feeling. So I'll give you my example. And notice I'm sad. And if you name it, sad, sad for a time and become mindful as we've been trained to do. Sad, sad. Sense it in the body. Where are you feeling it? Sad, sad. It moves. It moves like a wave through your mind and body. And after around, I don't know, 15 or 30 seconds, you get the thought, ooh, I wish this would go away. And then, okay, you notice wishing has come up as a feeling. Or, I wish I wasn't so sad. And you notice that wishing. And then you experience the, I hate this sadness. Hate, hating. Okay, but I'm sad, sad, sad. I'm afraid this is going to last all week. Fear. Here's fear now. Here's fear arising. Fear, fear. But I can be with this. Okay, I'm, I'm okay with this. And now here's confidence arising. Sad, confidence, fear. And you start to realize as you track them that they're alive, they're vibrant, and ever-changing in the body, in the mind, in the heart. No feeling is final. And so when you start this process, when you start to ask what is true right now, you're going to start to see how your emotions can be experienced, seen, and felt as they truly are. And the more intimate, the more familiar and honest we are in our relationship to these fallen emotions, the more easily we can feel grief, but uncomplicated by despair, joy that is unadulterated, or any emotion without having it mixed up with guilt or anger or remorse or embarrassment or judgment or any other sentiments, to really just feel all the feels. These emotions are here to guide us, sometimes to point us in the right direction, and at other times to highlight which path we should not be taking. The problem is never with what we are feeling. The only problem is with how we relate to that feeling. One more time. The problem is never with what we are feeling. The only problem is with how we relate to that feeling. No one, no one gets through life without experiencing the pain and pleasure of intense emotions. But if a person is able to raise their emotions to a place where they can see what is truly happening, to a place of Yishuv Hadas, to the ability to know what is true at this moment, to the felt experience of whatever that person is undergoing, then no matter what happens, those emotions will always remain a part of you without ever engulfing or 
consuming. And as all of these ideas that we've spoken about, this is an experiential podcast. And as such, it needs to be experienced and practiced to be fully understood. A person who is concerned with his obligation in the world right now with what is happening in the present moment is able to evaluate in a calculated and measured way rather than in a critical or condescending manner. That person is able to liberate the emotions that have fallen away from their connection to the present. Once you're freed of the distorted fear and love, which takes the form of anxiety or addiction, anxiety and terror, a person can be at peace knowing just what is. So there's something truly liberating about being able to stay in the presence of strong emotions with loving awareness and say yes. This too is part of being human. Yes to life in spite of everything. But it's not just those painful and difficult ones because, as you know, many of us can be loyal to our suffering and then the positive emotions become difficult. When we start to feel joy, is that okay? Oh, the joy. I often jokingly give my clients permission. I write them a permission slip to be happy. I remember somebody coming to session and saying, I don't know what I'm feeling. And we quickly discovered that what he was feeling was happy and it was a foreign feeling. It was just something that made him uncomfortable. And we want to start to be clear what range of emotions are okay for you and what's outside of your comfort zone. And the beautiful and most powerful thing is that we can learn to be present for all of them. My t-shirts would often remind me, go to the places that scare you when you're ready, not right away. Can you hold this feeling, whatever it is, that's difficult, especially when it's difficult with compassion? Or if it's a beautiful feeling, can you hold this with joy? Can you hold it lightly and let it go when it's over? What happens if you let this feeling open and expand? There I am sitting with that difficult emotion, with that fear, with that grief. And then it turns into rage and all these other emotions, all the while never ever judging it. And a question that served me a lot and that I share with my clients and I'm sharing with my pause friends. The one thing that we can ask ourselves that can really open it up is, what am I unwilling to feel right now? What am I not allowing myself to feel right now? Because in most moments, if we're not paying attention, right, we're living sort of unconsciously, it's because in some way we're pushing away something that's just part of the nature of things. We're just pushing away something that, that's here right now. It's a guest. How do we relate to it? And perhaps this is one understanding of uh, the famous story at the end of the Talmud in Makos, which is so appropriate to this time of year that we're currently in, where upon seeing the Chorban, upon seeing the destruction, the sages began to cry, except for one, except for Rabbi Akiva, because Rabbi Akiva didn't cry. I think I know how this one ends. Yeah, you know how this one ends. You know, don't, <laughs> stop, don't stop me then. Right, Rabbi Akiva starts laughing. And then they have this back and forth. Why are you laughing? And he says, why are you crying? And they respond, it's pretty obvious what we're crying about, but laughter? And Rabbi Akiva responded somewhat mysteriously. He says, for the same reason you're crying, I'm laughing. He says, because the verse juxtaposes two prophecies, one of destruction and one of redemption. And Rabbi Akiva explained that all the while that the prophecy regarding 
the destruction hadn't been fulfilled, he feared that the prophecy of Zechariah, shout out Zusha, might not be fulfilled. But now that he's clear that the prophecy regarding Uriah, the prophecy of destruction had been fulfilled, then he was certain that the prophecy of Zechariah, that too would be fulfilled. And hearing those words, they replied to him, Akiva, Nichamtanu. Akiva, you have consoled us. And perhaps what that story can teach us is the ability to simultaneously experience the joy of the ultimate redemption and the pain of destruction. And that's the secret to Rabbi Akiva's laughter. Let's be really clear. Rabbi Akiva was not a callous individual. He was not insensitive to the heartbreak of the temple's destruction. He experienced the tragedy as intensely as all of his colleagues did. But within that tragedy, as within all experiences, there was something more to be discerned. Rabbi Akiva was open to the full gamut of emotional possibilities, finding a balance in life, tempering destruction with the possibility of redemption. He did not ignore or disavow the feelings of loss and pain. Those were very real. And yet for that very reason, I am laughing because he recognized that within the pain and suffering, together with the pain and suffering, despite the pain and suffering, there was also meaning and there could be true comfort. So we're going to move to the practice, but I want to share a poem with, with you from Dana Folds, and it's called Allow. There's no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream, and it will create a new channel. Resist, and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to a higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in, the wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the door of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known ways of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. Let yourself sit in an upright yet comfortable way. And when you're ready, just close your eyes gently. Take a few deeper cleansing breaths and let the breath settle in its natural rhythm. Notice if there is any obvious tension in the body that you can release easily and do so. Let the eyes, the neck, the face, the jaw, the shoulders be soft. Relaxing the shoulders even deeper, letting the arms and hands rest easily. See if you can let the belly be soft and the breath natural. Let the heart be soft as well to receive whatever arises with kindness and compassion. 
Now with this embodied presence, bring a kind and gentle awareness to the breath. You can notice it as coolness in the nostrils, swirling, tingling in the throat, or the rise and fall of the chest or belly. Feel each breath, and as you allow it, invite a sense of calm and ease to grow. Return gently to the next breath whenever you noticed the attention has wandered. Wandering is a natural process. There's no judgment. Let all other experiences, sounds, sensations, thoughts, images, rise and fall like waves of the ocean around the breath. After a time, as best you can, become mindful of any emotions that call your attention. You can bring the same mindful, loving awareness to them as you have to the breath. So when an emotion rises, let go of attention to the breath and receive the emotion kindly. It may be helpful to name it softly. Sad, sad, or joy, joy, or bored, bored, or anxious, anxious, excited, excited. Grief. This is grief. And as you attend to the emotion, notice carefully as best you can where you feel it in your body. And also notice how it feels as a constellation of sensations. How does it respond? to kind awareness? Does it dissolve or get stronger? Does it change into another emotion? Notice this too. You are the space of loving awareness that can kindly, gently notice emotions as they come and go. No feeling is final.
if you feel any resistance to contacting the emotion or it feels too strong notice the story that the mind tells along with the feelings in your body see if you can acknowledge that kindly then let that story be in the background and once again bringing a gentle presence to the emotion When the emotion is changed or dissolved, simply return back to awareness of the breath for a time. And now you can include emotions in your loving awareness as well as attending to the breath and body. They come and go, and you are becoming the calm, steady witness, acknowledging them without getting caught up by each one. Remaining in mindful, loving awareness, you become gradually more open, balanced, and free. It's a powerful practice. Thank you all for pausing with us. We look forward to doing it again. We've got two more. All right, so I'll see you next week, Ben. And we'll be seeing all of you next week or hearing or connecting. Uh, how do I end? Baruch Adonai Le'olam. That is correct, except that the goal is soul. That's also true. <laughs> it's always, it's always. The goal is soul. Baruch Adonai Olam, Amen Amen. Thank you for pausing with us today on this Jewish mindfulness journey. If you enjoyed this pause together, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. This helps us get this and other soulful content released into the world. May the insights and stillness we've accessed today guide us in our daily lives and may we cultivate greater awareness compassion and connection with ourselves others and with the divine let's pause together again real soon the goal is soul